0: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 34, Lucas Baseball Podcast, brought to you by DrRoto.com, your home for everything fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports, and sports betting. Come check out the website. If you see something you like, subscribe, and use promo code LOU, that's L-O-U, for a nice discount on any of our premium packages I'm Lou Landers, joined by my co-host, Lucas Beery. And on today's episode, we're looking to 2022, examining strategies we used in 2021 that we will use again. And also what we might change. We'll also talk outfield and pitchers discussing strategies and certain players. Lucas, before we begin, take a moment, promote your work at DrRoto.com.
1: Yes, yes. Excited <clears throat> that we can do a, a small uh recap here of of what happened with our season and uh, look ahead to next year. It's never too early to start your prepping. Um, Anyways, uh, I will be writing up the DFS slate tonight as far as our last DFS content as we have NFL Sunday jam-packed on the website content-wise tomorrow, Uh, but I will be writing up a DFS article tonight. It's going to be tricky with usage and wonky lineups and pitchers getting pulled early, but... Um, I'll certainly put my best guide out there. You can feel free to follow it and uh, take a look at where who, who we're on tonight. So yeah,
0: good stuff there, man. We're gonna start the show off talking about three lessons learned from this fantasy baseball season. So get us rolling. What is lesson one?
1: Yes, there was a ton of lessons learned, and I I personally highly advise anybody that wants to get better at this stuff. Uh, Not that we have all the answers, but we have some ideas. But to just review every single one of your rosters that you drafted, see where you came up short. For example, some of my team, most, a lot of my teams actually, maybe even all, have more runs scored than RBIs. It's because I'm attracted to the high OBP, you know, top of the lineup kind of guys, other than the high strikeout mashers, where you'll see that a lot of those guys more RBI-centric. So that's kind of one thing I'm going to have to reevaluate. But just reviewing all of your teams on the draft day, Maybe even look at all the fab pickups. It's going to take some time, but I think that could be beneficial. But as far as my first lesson learned here uh, is that two starters, two start pitchers are really great on paper. In fact, I tried to tried to deploy them from time to time. I got Gombered once, uh, made up for it later, but uh, two starters are great on paper. But I think that uh, really highly skilled setup men and relievers such as a Chad Green or you know, If you listen to our show, Jonathan Luai Sega, you had deployed him if you had trusted that route. I think those are better uh, than, than a lot of the two starters because we just can talk ourselves into oh, you can get two wins, you can get 12 to 14 strikeouts and passable ratios. That can be true, but I think it's just a bit safer to go with the ratios guys early on and then you can feel free to do more two starters after you've firmed up your your ratios and then you're needing k's
0: i think this is a good one Uh, i mean i've been guilty of either trying to draft a lot of starting pitchers to help in wins and k's or of course trying to stream those two star pitchers for the same reason and what usually happens is i'm using pitchers who aren't great and certainly early on blows up that era and whip and once those are kind of blown up it's really hard to recover from it. I mean, it happened to me in a number of leagues this year. Uh, Certain leagues where I'm like, you know, a point out of cashing right now and I can't make up points in ERA and WHIP because of it. It's easier to make up ground in those counting stats like wins and strikeouts later on. So I am with you with having those elite-type relievers who might back into a save or two by the way but even if they don't mm-hmm. keeping those ratios low guys who can still get some strikeouts um if you are in towards the top in ratios earlier on there's a good chance you're gonna stay there and then that's when you attack the wins in Ks.
1: i think you can convert to draft and hold setups too i mean there's been a handful of weeks recently where hey i have to admit a, a faux pas I, I had rolled out jackson cower praying that he would provide me a win. And let me tell you, it's been butt ugly for that guy. I texted you earlier this week, what is wrong with him? And, um, you know, I could have plugged in an Emilio Pagan. He's not a great play for Roto, but he's a solid real life pitcher. So I think trying to get greedy and go for those wins, even though, you know, the likelihood is a lot lower than we hope. I think that, uh, you know, deploying more relievers, even if you're going three, four, five relievers, I think that uh, it's probably not ideal, but I think that it's probably better than praying uh, that you know a back-end starter is gonna you know luck into a win because i think there's a lot more risk there than we ex- than i anticipated
0: there is and i mean if you're playing head-to-head it's a no-brainer you are trying to use as many relievers as possible and then when you have starters you plug in but from the roto standpoint and the draft and hold which is typically roto as well obviously um I- i'm with you that's it's something that i think is People know, and then they kind of overlook it during the season because they get caught up in the current standings and don't look at the bigger picture and realize that. I think as the great Tim McLeod says, it's it's not a race. It's a marathon, something along those lines. Um, Don't race to have the most Ks and wins right away. Worry about those ratios because those counting stats, as I mentioned, much easier to catch up in.
1: Yeah, well said. And plus, early on, we don't even necessarily know who the great pitchers are. For example, in TGFBI, I drafted Adam Wainwright, dropped him after a week or two, just thinking that I would use him for the first start. I think he might have gotten Pittsburgh. I'd have to recheck. But, you know, nobody knew that Wainwright would be a stud, or unless you did. If you did, you're smarter than me. But uh, I think early on, we don't even necessarily know who's great. So I think playing it safer with guys with track records such as uh, chad greener now at this point johnny l loisiga i think that could certainly be the way to go at least early on and then you can determine how many more strikeouts you'll need to stream on the two-start side of the story
0: yeah whitlock for the
1: red sox has been a great get mm-hmm. for those situations yes. uh andrew kittredge of the ray
0: same thing and he's been getting saves now too but he's been excellent most of the season as well let's move on what's your second lesson
1: The other one, too, and the beauty, as Tim McLeod puts, as far as the marathon approach of fantasy baseball, is that if you like a certain guy, well, he can blow you up and not kill you because you're going to get his full season line. Um, So I think, you know, it's nice to have that marathon approach, but I think monitoring the categories even closer than you may already do. Personally, I can monitor them a little bit more. There was a few weeks um, where I could have probably tried to sneak in some saves instead of, you know, throwing out a pitcher who had a tough matchup. Even if you do have three closers, I think uh, constantly looking for more closers, even if you're only bidding one, two, three, four dollars, um, I think just you know rolling out four RP, I think that that actually can work in fifteen team leagues. I always, I would always kind of try to do you know, five or try to do about six or seven starters in search of those wins. But, uh, you know, can kind of kill your ratios. And I think monitoring categories like saves and strikeouts is huge just because you can sneak in some of those saves from time to time. And plus, even if a reliever does blow up, They're only going to blow up over maybe two to three innings during the week rather than if it's a starter who blows up, he probably went four, five, six innings, giving you even more earned run damage than a reliever can if he gives up a solo shot or two.
0: I mean, this is very true because you know what? Even if you have a lot of saves, you have three closers, I found that you really can never have enough even in the leagues where you can't trade. Uh, Injuries occur, guys get traded. I mean, in one of my main leagues this year, I had three closers heading into the end of July. After the trade deadline, I had zero. Lost a ton of ground in saves because of it. And I wasn't worried because I was like, oh, I'm, you know, second in saves. I got three closers, no big deal. And if I hadn't picked up Drew Steckenrider prior to him getting the majority of saves for Seattle, I would have dropped four, five points in saves. And in hmm. this particular league, especially, that's the difference between second and fourth place.
1: Exactly. And you're going to always think that you're set up on uh, saves whenever you have those three guys. But uh, as you pointed out with your anecdote, and you're not always set up. So I think look, always looking for more closers never hurts because spending a few bucks... We'll never kill you if you're just using a roster spot on it. I know a lot of the times we're doing seven-man bench with no IIL on NFBC. Uh, But, uh, hey, those guys that picked up Kyle Finnegan on the Nats uh, before they made those deadline moves, uh, some NFBC geniuses, Rob DiPietro and Phil DeSalt, uh, those guys are looking pretty for being a week early and throwing a dollar or two down on uh, Finnegan. So I think that's kind of the – the the better move is to just always keep looking for those relievers. Even if you think you're set on saves, let me tell you, a Craig Kimbrell can get traded at the drop of a hat in the middle of the summer. Absolutely, man. It happens all the time.
0: It happens every year. Guys get traded and you lose those saves. So you always want to have more in your back pocket. Lesson three.
1: Yes. Um a lot of the times I would in my drafts I would go for Uh, a similar build I really emphasized on steals this year and it worked out in some leagues um, others not as much to be fully honest it was a it was a solid year, but uh, could have been better. Anyways, um, I think really knowing what your game plan is for each and every format is absolutely huge. I know this is probably a very obvious point, but it's a point that I wanted to make because I experienced it firsthand playing in a 12-team NFBC online championship. I finish, I'm i finishing like 6th or 7th in there, and uh, I don't feel great about that. But um, my problem was, is in my opinion is that um, I just didn't necessarily firm up the offense with really, really locked down players uh, early on. If I would have hit on a handful of studs later on, perhaps that would have solved that. But I think in in certain leagues, having like a really clean cut game plan, for example, with a 12 teamer, I think really getting greedy with your offense. I had heard uh, Roto-Wires James Anderson make that point and Uh, seeing how my offense was just lacking the whole time and that there was awesome starters that you could pick up for streamers or even roll out a really highly skilled reliever I mean it's 12 teams there's not enough room for all the really good pitchers or all the solid startable pitchers to be held so I think you know in your first 10 picks I think taking eight offensive players I mean maybe even nine offensive players and then looking for your pitching darts late let me tell you we saw plenty of pitching darts pop up since pitching so hard to predict and I think uh, I think really loading up offensively in the 12 teamers is the move. Rather than I had invested a first rounder in Degrom, I had invested like a, a fifth or a sixth rounder in Plesac and Alcantara, and it was just you know some of those were okay pitchers, but uh, definitely uh, left me investing a little too much offensively.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a big lesson to learn because. I mostly play in 14 and 15 team leagues. And when I end up playing in a 12 team league or two, I forget to adjust those strategies. There is typically always streaming options for pitchers, as you mentioned, especially Mm -hmm. compared to the quality bats. Uh, You want to load up on your offense. Just make sure you have at least two anchors for your rotation, some quality relief pitchers and stream the rest.
1: And I think the other thing, too, that I had noticed, man, this is going to be true next year. I have a very confident feeling. My thing was, is man, I don't want to get left out on saves. I don't want to get left out on saves. Well, I invested a relatively early pick on Kenley, like eighth round maybe, and invested another pick in Kimbrel, and that worked out really well. Oh, and then, by the way, at the end of the draft, I picked up Alex Reyes, not even knowing what his role was, but knowing that we've always liked him as a talented guy. Well, I was rolling those three closers out there, and I stormed out to a huge lead in saves. But the thing is, is that there were saves every – not every week, but – You could find saves on the wire, and they were fairly cheap. You could probably get a closer for under $50 a fab uh, in these 12-teamers. So I think think not necessarily paying as much for saves. Maybe get one anchor and then a couple of dart throws, knowing that, hey, you can roll two closers out there for a while, and you can find saves as you go. But really investing in those bats that you have a firm belief will be good. I think that's the key uh, for my strategy for 12-teamers next season. A strategy that i've had some trouble with admittedly better at 15s
0: for sure for sure let's move things over to position by position questions we did this for catcher first base second base third base and short on our most recent episode today outfield starting pitching and relief pitching so we'll start with the outfields are you changing your outfield strategy in 2022 or are you happy with how it went in 2021
1: I had a firm strategy uh, heading into this year that I wanted to wait on outfield a lot. Maybe get a few guys that I felt really good about, maybe that one stud, and then uh, fill it in with some values as we went on. But knowing that around pick 200 to pick 300, maybe pick 350, that there was a lot of guys that I liked. Well, as injuries hit, as underperformances hit, uh, that position that was quote-unquote deep uh, turned out to not necessarily be as deep. I think platoons also play a huge factor in uh, this as well. Um, so next year, I think uh, I think you can take the depth of outfield, and I think you can take that to an advantage if you're willing to invest early in it. Um, I think obviously multi-position guys are huge too because you just have so many more choices with those. So I think investing a bit more Uh, An outfield is going to be my key next year as I perceived it as a deep position and uh, listening to a lot of people out there. They've had trouble filling outfielders and um, it's just been one of those weird things where it seemed deep, but it wasn't necessarily as deep as we thought.
0: Yeah, I definitely need to change mine in the past. I've kind of always felt it's such a deep position. I can get two Mm -hmm. guys late. Turns out this year, at least, I was dead wrong. Most of the formats we played, you need five outfielders in your starting lineup, which is the second most you need on your team besides pitchers. It's vital to get good ones. And in the past, I've also seen that in the sixth round let's say i have two outfielders already rostered so i think to myself oh i don't need another one right now i could wait and Mm -hmm. pretty much what happens is i take a worse player to try and fill a position i have none of rather than taking a great player and filling out the outfield and at that point in the draft too you're better off taking the best player not drafting purely based on their position
1: i think so i think so and um Whenever, whenever you just have that depth of outfielder, I mean, it's going to give you a choice. Like some people are just stuck using the two games of Brandon Nemo, who, by the way, awesome on base, but in roto. Ah, killed me power-wise. Let me tell you, man, that was just oof. I had a handful of shares of him, including on that 12-teamer. He sapped my power. He has like eight homers this year. Anyways, I think just having the deeper uh, roster on the outfield side just gives you choices. You're like, okay, I don't need a two-game week this week. I can deploy a four-game week of my outfield seven, who, by the way, is a pretty decent player, so I think that's fair. Four and and half week, I meant. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: for sure. Uh, so Tyler O'Neill has had a really interesting season. He's been quite good, I think, better than a lot of people would have expected. With that being said, would you consider drafting a guy like that between picks 100 and pick 120?
1: Obviously, the 32% strikeout rate sticks out like a sore thumb with this guy. Um, I'm going to have to be a no on him until uh, I can see a little bit further evidence. There are a few promising signs that I do want to point out, though. Obviously, obviously, he has really good power, or he showed it this year. And, you know, the 14-15 steals are going to go a really long way. Um, The thing that had really popped off the page to me with O'Neal was his 52% hard hit rate, which is a strong mark. And he also had a 17.4% barrel rate, which is just blew me away. Uh there's a possibility that uh he can keep up, you know, a two eight not a two eighty, but you know, a two fifty to two sixty an okay batting average with power while striking out thirty-two percent of the time. But ultimately that is a bet that I'm not willing to make with such a high strikeout rate. So what do you think, Lou?
0: I mean chances are I'll probably not be drafting him that highly. There's no denying, of course, mm-hmm. the fact that he's been good this season, power and speed. But in that top 100, 120, I feel there's just safer players. They may not have the O'Neal upside, but mm-hmm. I also don't feel like they could flop and destroy mm-hmm. me because I use such an early pick.
1: I would honestly, and until you're actually in the draft room and you click the guy, it's a different story. But I don't know where his ADP is going to go. We came up with their outline, said maybe top 120. That could be way off. That could be. Uh, you know, he could be a top 75 guy for, for crying out loud. Uh, but I don't know, like if he's going in that Ramon Laureano, you know, kind of top 140, I could see myself dipping in and grabbing maybe one share because if this is a, uh, a a, ch- a, a skill set that he has where he can, you know, get into his bag and hit his homers with the batting average while striking out 30% of the time, maybe even cuts it down to 25%, which would be amazing to see. Like Tay Oscar Hernandez did a profile that's similar, in my opinion, to this. If he can, if he can, uh, you know, be maybe around a 140 to 120 pick uh, where he's maybe a sixth or a seventh, eighth rounder, um, I don't know. I could maybe talk myself into a share or two, but I'm kind of out at this point.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm going to take the pass just simply yeah. there's a lot of great players in that in those spots and it is enticing I, though. <laughs> it is enticing, but do you see him improving upon this season? If you see him improving and even getting no. better, then there's a l- tremendous amount of upside, but if you see this as the ceiling and maybe he hits it again, there's other players in that range that can do similar things and who I just trust more.
1: If he does, you know, if he does like a 28 homer and like a, a, a 12 a 12 steal thing with you know a 250 batting average i mean you'll probably have got you'll you'll have gotten your money's worth the thing is is that whenever a guy strikes out 32% of the time i mean collapse risk is huge i mean before this year i mean just look at this guy's career it's just such an outlier i think you're just paying for such a career year i mean it could be real but uh you're definitely gonna have to pay for uh for a lot and he could easily flop like you said so it's tough i could change my mind on him but as of this moment here um probably won't have too much o'neill
0: all right well outside of my love affair as you know with austin hayes are there an (laughs) outfielder or two late that you think could be great value who you're going to be targeting
1: I'm not sure what the value is going to look like for this guy since he's had a scorching hot uh, September, which really helped out his numbers. But if you look at uh, a post-hype guy, Andrew Benintendi, he's been very serviceable this year. 132 games played. He's got okay power, 17 homers, chipped in eight steals, and... Just kind of did the little things 63 runs and 73 RBIs, 277 batting average. That would help me and almost that would help me a ton in my leagues if I were to get a solid batting average like that. And by the way, he's always been a decent batting average guy, if not good, with the 290 batting average uh, on his ledger whenever he was younger with uh, more hype and helium. Uh, I love I love Ben Attendi. If I can get him around, you know, pick 225, 250 next year, I don't know if he'll go that cheap. But he's a guy that I think on the Kansas City Royals, nobody really is too fired up for those players except for a Mondesi or a Merrifield. But uh, yeah, I think, I think Benintendi could be an intriguing uh, you know, outfield four to just plug in and kind of balance out all your categories as long as he can keep this power, which I was concerned about in Kaufman. But he's been able to, uh, to, to produce some very solid power numbers with some speed.
0: I mean, that is definitely true. He's rejuvenated his career since going to Kansas City because he was kind of left for dead with yeah, the with the Red Sox. Uh, so I don't know how late he's going to go, but after the successful season the Mariners have had still potentially to get into the playoffs here, I feel like top prospect Julio Rodriguez is going to be on the MLB roster sooner than later. In 2022, has the chance to be something special. And if you're drafting early, certainly before spring training specifically, I think Mm. you can get him after pick 200. And another later round outfielder I'll be paying attention to is my boy from the Yankees, Aaron Hicks. I know he's a name Mm -hmm. and he's a Yankee, so he's not going to be ignored. But after missing basically all of 2021, I think people are down on him. I think he could be overlooked while the center field position is still his in New York. And he has the potential to hit in the middle of the order, hit for power, score a ton of runs and be really great value.
1: I'm going to hit up Julio first here, but I like those names that you mentioned there. I think um, I think a lot of people have really soured on prospects this year because they've just been so many disappointments outside of Wander Franco and Trevor Rogers, even though he had kind of gotten a taste in the short season of 2020. I think a lot of people have really soured on prospects saying that, you know, it's a bad investment and it's not a good move. And while it's a high risk, high reward proposition, it certainly can flop on you. Let me tell you, as a guy with plenty of Kelinek. In his portfolio, it was not the greatest. It was pretty bad, actually. Uh, but I think once these guys had a real season this year on the farm, uh, playing you know a full minor league season, I think that's going to be you can't you can't replicate real game action, which the 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 prospects missed last year. Um, so that really kind of made it tough to come in and play against play at the highest level. So I think Julio. Uh, after pick two hundred is a very reasonable play. I mean, he's obviously the best prospect in the game. Uh, him and Bobby Witt Jr. are right there, so I think that's a a great name. I mean, sixteen steals at Double A this year in forty six games. That's going to blow people away if whenever they see that if they haven't checked it out yet. Now, as far as Hicks. Um, first off it's his birthday so I wanted to say happy birthday to one of my favorite players in Hicks even though he's disappointed me lately Uh, I like him as more of a 15 team ad because I just think that his uh, game plan at the plate he's not really looking to hit homers he's really just looking to get on base it seems like to provide some runs scored for the team Um, but in a 15 teamer if you can get him in the reserve rounds I think that's a, a fairly solid pick I was all over him this year I had to pay for him in the pick 250 range where he was actually an active starter on my team. But if you can get him in the reserves, I'm going to have to ding him down a little bit because of the myriad of injury issues. But I would still be on him if he came as maybe outfield five at at worst or in the reserves even better.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'm a big Hicks fan. And I, I would hope that he can be healthy. I want to move things over to the starting pitchers. Uh, structurally speaking how might you draft starting pitchers in 2022 because for me after draft season I was really kicking myself for not going starting pitcher earlier then DeGrom and Bieber both go down suddenly thrilled that I had basically no shares of either one I feel like there is just more injury risk with pitchers and if they get hurt I think it's much harder to replace them on fab don't think I'll be taking my first starter until round three But I will say if I'm at the end of round two, I might take one there depending on how many elite arms still remain. It definitely depends on where you're drafting. Uh, But I definitely will say I want two starting pitchers by the end of round five. I want a closer by the end of round seven. And I'll look to have three starting pitchers by the end of round nine, four by the end of round
1: 11. Yeah, it's... uh... It's looking better to to not have invested so highly in those early starters. Uh, Degrom served his awesome purpose when he was healthy, and his season numbers are just insane. But obviously, he only gave you a good four months. Um, with the with the starting pitching pool, I feel like it's just getting a bit deeper, and. I think uh, I think there are some discounts that can be had on guys that came off some down years, such as a Shane Bieber. I don't know where exactly he's going to go, but I don't necessarily see him as that much worse. I know his shoulder issues is a little iffy, but the guy's so young, and he's already back and throwing. So you love to see that. Rather than DeGrom, they said, nope, let's shut this thing down. So uh, I'm probably going to do a little bit more strategies where I really emphasize offense and uh, bully the hitting categories and try to manage the pitching as we go. Try to make sure I load up, you know, a bunch of my sleepers that I like, maybe get one anchor pitcher like you see in fantasy football with the anchor running back and then load up with a bunch of a bunch of interesting, you know, mid-tier flyers uh, as the draft goes on and the offense is filled out.
0: For sure. For sure. Uh, So Robbie Ray looking like he could win Al Cy Young award this year. You know, his price is going to be heavily inflated heading into the 2022 drafts. Would you take him in the top 30 to 40 picks?
1: At this moment, I can't do that. Um, looking at his career walk rate, that was what really cleaned him up this year. He's obviously always had an elite strikeout rate, but I mean his career walk rate is over double digits, and this year it's only at 6.9%. And the previous couple of years, he had been in the 13 to you know 11% range, as well as in the shortened season, it was an atrocious—18% walk rate. I know that he's throwing harder this year. He's got more elevated velocity, closer to 95 from the left side, which is just going to smoke away most batters, plus that filthy slider. Um, I just think – I don't know. I just think you're paying for the best-case scenario if you're going to draft him in rounds two or three. And while he certainly could repeat it, he's just had too many ups and downs for me to invest so heavily on a guy and just rely on him so much. I just can't do that.
0: Yeah, I mean – Look, even as a Yankees fan who would love to see Garrett Cole win the AL Cy Young Award, I think it has to go to Robbie Ray. But just because he's going to win it this year, I could see him signing a big contract this offseason and then not coming close to the production again. And he's also had a history of putting together excellent seasons and the next year being a huge disappointment. Sure, Mm -hmm. a different pitcher now. Different team, different stage of his career, but I just cannot ignore the command issues he'd had in the past. He quickly found his command in 2021, but could just lose it as quickly in 2022. It's a big no for me.
1: Look at the whips. I mean, you know, the past three, four years, 135 whip in 2018, 134 whip in 2019. I know this year he's been a superstar. He's been a Cy Young but he's just had too many ups and downs for me to invest this heavily. I could look like an idiot if he goes out and he gets picked in round three and he's the SP1 again, uh, but not on my team, not with my hard-earned money.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there, man. Um, so name a pitcher or two who you're interested to see their ADP. You might not necessarily be drafting them, but guys who just you're interested in seeing where they might be falling in the twenty twenty two drafts, whether it be early or, you know, leading up to right to first pitch, those drafts in March.
1: As uh, as you and the listeners know, I love my steady eddies where I feel confident in the production I'm gonna get. First guy that I'm gonna be in on, assuming the cost isn't exponential, has had an elite second half and you kinda woke me up to the fact that he's been doing so well since I don't have him on any teams, but as we talk DFS every day, Max Fried has been on another level of late looking at the guy's career heavy ground ball pitcher i do like that it's gonna give up less homers just mathematically you're not going to be able to hit a homer if you're hitting a worm burner he's also gets enough strikeouts i mean obviously you want a higher strikeout rate but 23 24 percent is okay if he's going deep into games which by the way he's been doing he's gotten a solid workload under his belt he's going to reach about you know 170 innings this year uh, only gives up uh, 0.9 homers uh, per nine over his career. So he doesn't even give up a home run every nine innings. That's awesome. He's going to pitch for a really good team in a soft division as long as the Nationals don't go out and spin, which I'm not sure if they'll do. They'll get the Marlins as well, who are a very soft team. Mets have a great park to pitch in. Max Freed is a guy I'm going to be all over. Where are you with Freed?
0: Oh, I love Max Freed. Um mm-hmm. a lot of people were scared off of the early season numbers, but I mean he's been one of the best pitchers in the national league over the past couple of months. I'm sure you've heard some of my DFS shows. I've been all over him for oh, yeah. those purposes. Um so yeah, I definitely am a big fan of Max Fried and we'll probably try to get him on a number of teams next year for sure. Um I'm looking at two guys from a pitching standpoint that I'm interested in seeing kind of where the cards are going to fall here. One is Steven Strasburg. The other is Mike Soroka. Strasburg oh, wow. was terrible when he pitched this year, missed most of the season afterwards. It's possible he might just be toast. will never be the same guy. But if I can get him after around 11, 12, I think I would take a shot on him as the SP4 because he has been the man prior to and then with Soroka still so young seems to have so much promise then he gets injured and they've no doubt set him back and he might miss a chunk of time in 2022 because of it as well but could be an interesting stash assuming he has no setbacks which at this point we can't really assume but I think Mike Soroka could be one of those guys that uh, really helps your team if he's healthy.
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot of people um, dismissing Soroka heavily, who's one of our favorite players, my favorite player in specific. Um, good news on him is that he's 24. He's getting a full off-season of rest. And the thing is, is that he had he had the Achilles issue, and then he had re it. Well, the thing is, is if you look into his news, which I've done have, being an investor in him, he actually – his body rejected uh, the um, – I believe like the stitches for his Achilles, his body just like rejected it. And then that's where it just didn't heal very well. He had to even undergo an exploratory surgery, which that petrified me whenever I read that news note this summer. But basically, it just seems like the surgery just didn't go very good. Um, But hopefully they can get him dialed in. The fact that he's 24 is a huge uh, benefit for him. So I'll be in on him. Uh, fairly cheap uh, depending on where he goes. I don't want to overpay for him since he does have big risk as both of these guys do. But with Strasburg, I think you'll be able to get him after pick 200. I would imagine. I don't really know how anybody can plug him into their lineup and feel too confident. So I think that he'll be very cheap, similar to Soroka. He could be toast, but uh, we we can't forget how elite Strasburg was. I know sale was kind of that way where he, yeah, he's a Tommy John surgery guy, but he has so much talent. I think Strasbourg is a, a touch below that, but uh, you kind of get my point there.
0: Yeah, I think he's also older than Sale, if I'm not mistaken. I, I might be yeah, wrong on that. Yeah, so he's. it's not like he's, you know... Uh, under 30 and it might be a lot of gas left. I think the biggest thing is velocity. If he doesn't have that velocity anymore, he's not going to be the same pitcher and it's going to hurt you. Uh, Relief pitchers. Let's move over to there. Any changes you might make to your relief pitching strategy? I know off the top, one of the lessons was trying to grab a lot of saves, but maybe we can elaborate on some of that.
1: Yeah, we'll be quick here. Um, Really in my, in my draft and hold setups, Uh, On the NFBC platform, it's just a tougher game, but it's fun, too. Um, I just didn't have enough saves, man, and that sucks. A lot of my uh, relievers kind of lost their job as the year went on, Uh, whether it's due to injury with Taylor Rogers, who kind of barely even had the job to begin with, or Craig Kimbrell, who got moved, or Diego Castillo, who kind of got moved into a a, a timeshare. So I think what I'm going to try to do next year is invest in two guys that I feel really confident in two maybe top 10, maybe top 15 guys where you feel pretty good about them. Obviously, you can never feel great about a reliever. We saw a guy like Trevor Rosenthal not even throw a pitch this year who was drafted heavily and early. Uh, And then in addition to the two guys that I feel are trustworthy, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to load up with at least four or five guys that I feel like are on the periphery of saves. That may feel like an overinvestment. I'll have to do some drafts and see how it actually pans out. But as these guys, as the season moves on, it's a six-month grind, and these guys are going to lose their jobs, and some of them are going to get hurt. So I think really making sure that you lock in that category. There's a lot of points to get in that category, so I think making sure you've invested plenty in it, I think, is going to be key for me next year.
0: I think you're probably on to something there, man. And I say it every year to myself. I'm going to make sure I get a legitimate closer. I have a clear job. And then I resort back to my old ways and I wait on saves. And that strategy to wait certainly can pay off at times. But it's really hard to hit on those picks with there just being so much uncertainty on what is going to happen who was going to close for each team I tried to avoid that this season uh you know I took Ray's relief pitcher Nick Anderson in many many places all early drafts and you know how I was rewarded with him getting hurt and not pitching for me when I needed him so not to say it scared me away from necessarily taking a guy early but I feel like the flow of the specific draft I'm in is really going to determine what I do for saves if guys start going early I'm gonna have to jump in and grab one but there's just there's there's wins and losses no matter mm-hmm. how you do it. You can wait there and it. you can still get burned and you can go early and you can still get burned. So it's one of those things where really I think saves comes down to managing it on Fab.
1: I think so. And, and kind of what my strategy was appealing towards, you know, with the, with the two top 15 guys and that's an arbitrary number, but, and then, you know, four or five guys that are like kind of buzzy names that are going to cost a top 500 pick as more in the draft champions. Now you were kind of referring to more of the kind of seven man bench leagues where um, you know, it's possible that you could try to find them on fab, but it's just so tough and it can work out, but I don't necessarily think it's foolproof. And I think some years you could literally get left in the dust spending up your money on the Julian Merriweathers coming away empty handed. Uh, yeah, but I mean that,
0: but... I mean I'm I'm just gonna throw out some names for you. Trevino, Steck and Rider. Estevez even on Colorado. Cesar Valdez early on. Um, I mean, those are just four off the top of my head, piecing together a bunch of saves. If you add all those guys up and the saves, you're, I think, at around 40 saves. So, I mean, it's not that crazy. And then after the trade deadline, new guys take over for the Cubs... Um, so on and so forth. New guys took over in Washington, new guys took over in Miami. So you, you can absolutely do it. You just have to be very active.
1: Certainly, certainly. And and in those more fab leagues, I think I'm okay. A little bit more waiting on my other closers. Of course, I do want one that I can plug in and start getting saves from day one. But uh, I think in the draft champions league is where I left myself, um, a little bit too short, and that's a strategy I'm going to have to reevaluate that we'll be discussing with our off-season shows.
0: Absolutely, man. Uh, We have a little bit more time here, so another closer question for you. Closer by committee around Major League Baseball is about as big as it has been ever, I would say, and because of that, we've talked about the importance of those elite closers guys with jobs who can get you as you mentioned saves from day one do you think the price of those types of guys is going to go up from where it was this season
1: I certainly could be wrong here but I believe it will I think I think fourth round is where they're gonna go in almost all drafts Um, and I think you're gonna see plenty in round three which is in my opinion a little unprecedented I'm not sure if we've seen that a whole lot you could correct me if I'm wrong there but I think in general a lot of people have felt, uh-oh, I didn't get enough saves this year. I had to waste so much money on FAB. Um, you know, for me, exam- for me, for example, in TGFBI, to give you a real-life example, yeah, I did go ahead and I picked up some random guys such as Dylan Flora, but you know what? I deployed him for two weeks, and I didn't get a save during that time span. So that's kind of a waste of a roster spot, even though you could never have predicted that. So I think with the headache of saves, I think the locked-in haters, Hendrix's... Um, and maybe even, maybe even some others, uh, such as we'll see where Aroldis gets put up. But I think that the price is going to go up on saves. What do you think?
0: I mean, I think
1: that there's going to be a slight bump in the value of those
0: top-the-line guys for sure. It wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me maybe see three gone in the top 50 picks. As you said, that's round three. Uh, I'm going to be looking for my first guy probably between rounds five and seven, so pick 75 to 100 range. I won't go round three, but if I can get one, like a Hendrix or Hayter, even a Neraldis, um, I'll probably grab one in round five, and if I'm at the end of round four, I might do that.
1: Certainly. It's going to be interesting to see how this stuff goes. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if the price will go up. Like I said, we'll have to wait and see, but I can certainly envision it. As It seems like I've heard so many people talking about the headache of saves, and I think kind of going for the best of the best out there that are more likely to keep their job they're more likely to get uh great ratios they're more likely to get a higher strikeout rate because you're just drafting a better player i mean you wait till you know you wait till closers 20 through 30 i mean there's a reason they lose their jobs they just aren't that great compared to you know the elite players that are on great career trajectories
0: i'm with you there man everyone this has been the lucas baseball podcast brought to you by dr you can subscribe to many of our packages any of them really they're all good you all get different stuff of course you can get the all access for sports betting for season long and dfs we have mlb nfl nba nhl pga esports dfs fancy sports and sports betting content with an amazing lineup optimizer as well sunday morning start sit with dr roto and dfs last call with expert chris emrick who won 40 grand in week three, both shows stream live in a Discord. Lucas, you have any final thoughts here?
1: Go out and win those championships on Sunday. That's all I got. That's all
0: he's got. A man of many words during the podcast and a man of few words at the end. I'm Lou Landers, co-host Lucas Beery. Thanks for tuning in to Lucas Baseball. We'll catch you next time.